message is entitled, The Church is on a Mission. The church is on a mission. The highest mountain peak in the world is Mount Everest in Nepal in the mountain range known as the Himalayas. The mountain is famous for its height, height, and thousands of people flock to Nepal every year to test what they are made of and attempt to climb to its summit. I don't know if you've had the same ex experience that I've had, but there's something about mountain peaks that inspire us to do soul searching and to think about who we are and who God has created us to be and to think about our personal mission in life. If you're going to climb Mount Everest in Nepal, the only way to get to the summit, the only way to climb that mountain is to be on a mission. Now, some people never do any soul searching at all because they're not searching for anything because they become so comfortable with the ordinary. They become so comfortable blending in and so comfortable with being regular. So much so that there is nothing to search for. Uh, the, and, and, and if you are satisfied and if I am satisfied with what I have and with who I am, there can be no quest for me because I have decided to be fulfilled with the normal. But I believe that there are two or three people in the room today who are searching for something other than the average. There are some souls that are still left on this earth. Some are some impressive people. Some may not be so impressive, but they are dissatisfied with where they are in life. And this is where God steps in, brothers and sisters. God can do much with a person who recognizes their spiritual deficiencies. God can move in a person's life who is dissatisfied with where he or she is spiritually. On a mountain in Judea, Jesus taught his disciples, and a part of that teaching was when he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he went on to say that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You can only be hungry if you are less than full. I wish I had somebody say amen. In other words, in other words, if you are full, there is nothing else to fill you with. Uh, there's a friend of mine by the name of William Cone who owned a printing shop. And in his printing shop, it was uh, in Fort Lauderdale on Cistrunk Boulevard. Some of you all have never been to Cistrunk Boulevard, but before Walmart was an all-in-one type of experience. There were lots of all-in-one type of experiences. In his printing shop, you could buy caps, you could buy shoes, you could buy key rings, buy a whole lot of stuff. But he was an entrepreneur in Fort Lauderdale. And he came to me one day as we were talking in his shop, and he told me about celebrating his anniversary, that he and his wife had gone to Ruth Chris, and that they had celebrated their wedding anniversary, and that 
Both of them had ordered steaks, and they ordered off the menu some of the side orders and how wonderful they were, how large they were, and it was a la carte. He talked about how the waiters and the waitresses kept their glasses filled, providing five-star service throughout their experience there. He talked about the dessert and how he enjoyed the key lime pie and his wife enjoyed the cheesecake. We were standing in his shop and he confessed. He said, you know, Rev, I spent about $120 on my dinner tonight. Well, he had an employee that was a part of his staff by the name of Dallas. And Dallas was back there printing off cards. And Dallas said, well, I went to Burger King and I had a Whopper and some fries and a Coke and it cost me $3.06. And I'm full too. Amen. Well, the church ought not be like William Cone or Dallas. In other words, the church ought never have the experience of confessing that it is really full. Because at the point in which we confess that we are full, there's nothing else that God can pour into us. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are those who recognize the poverty of their spirit, the lack in their life, and the need for a greater presence of God on them. God can do a work in the lives of those who have spiritual deficits. This brings us to Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, which was the highest peak in the Lebanese mountain range, which lies um, there at the foot uh, or lies in the city of Caesarea Philippi. If you were or if you are the tourist type, You would like the city of Caesarea Philippi. In Caesarea Philippi, there is a cave there that houses a spring that runs into the famous Jordan River. The cave, uh, adjacent to the cave, there was an altar that was dedicated to the Greek god Pan. Pan was the noisy, goat-footed god um, who was the god of shepherds and the god of woodsmen. He was also a musician. And when he played his instruments, he led the nymphs in their dances through the wood. Now, I know you don't know what, may not know what a nymph is because we don't talk much about nymphs today. But if you watch VH1 or if you watch BET, a nymph would be like a video vixen, a video girl, actor candy. Yeah, a feminine illusionist who advertises what is not accessible to you. Y'all are quiet on me. Also, also in the city of Caesarea Philippi, on one side of town, there was an altar dedicated to Pan. On the other side of town, there was a temple that was built by Herod the Great that was dedicated to Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome. And here we find Jesus and his disciples. Mount Hermon towering over them with this lofty peak. On one side of town, there's the altar to Pan, the god of the woodsmen and the god of the shepherds who plays his pipe for the nymphs to dance. And then on the other side of town, there is the temple that's dedicated to the most powerful man in the world, namely the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus. It's in the presence of the temple of Caesar Augustus and the altar that's dedicated to Pan Pan, the God of pleasure, the God of, of, of having fun. It's in the, this presence in the, and also in the presence of Mount Hermon, this great lofty peak that Jesus asked this question, who do men say that I am? Yeah, and so when Jesus asked this question, it produced a response from Peter who says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. You are the anointed one. And Jesus then says to him, well, you are 
Peter, and upon this rock, what rock? The rock is your reliable remark revealing that I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. I will build my church. Somebody say the church belongs to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I will build my church. What is the church? The church is a community of people who are called away from the allure of power and the attractiveness of pleasure to discover a purpose that can only be revealed by pursuing the will of God. Jesus said he would build his church, but the church is not a fraternity or sorority. Somebody say amen. Yeah, the church accepts people who are members of fraternities and sororities, but it is not one. The church is not an academic society, but it it embraces people who have high intellectual and academic abilities. The church is not a social welfare uh, organization. The church does not exist solely for the reason of making sure that people's social welfare needs are addressed, though it does engage itself and involve itself in the needs of others. My brothers and sisters, The Bible tells us that the church is a very unique organization because the church is the family of God. It is the household of faith. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. The church is the body of Christ where Jesus is the head. Somebody say Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the head. And what Jesus does is that he, each person in the body of Christ, in the church, is filled with gifts that are not genetically handed down to us, but they are charismatically distributed to everyone as the Holy Spirit uh, decides to do it. And the church is God's organization doing God's work, studying God's word, seeking God's will, and doing it God's way. In other words, the church has a focus. The church does not have to invent its focus. It does not have to search for its focus. The church's focus is the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed to us in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, what his mission was. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and 18, because it is in this verse that Jesus clarifies to us and explains to us what his mission is. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, Jesus says, oh, the scripture says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. I'm going to say that again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Are y'all still awake in here? Uh, and uh, it, it, what, what this text is telling us, it says, if the church, listen, if the church 
is not pursuing in the power of the Spirit the anointing of God. In other words, the church ought to be pursuing the anointing of God. Somewhere in our prayer time, in our prayer lives, we ought to be asking God to give us the same anointing that was on Jesus' life because the church cannot effectively do what God has called it to do in its own power. The only way for the church to be effective is if, if it walks in the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If the church is not pursuing the anointing of God, in your prayer, you ought to be saying, God, anoint me and God, anoint the church and God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And said, so the church ought to be pursuing the anointing. If the church is not preaching the good news to the poor. And now notice that Jesus said he came to preach the good news to the poor. In other words, the church is not to think about itself all the time as God begins to bless you. And I can look at you right now and tell that you have been blessed. You may not know you've been blessed, but because you don't know it doesn't mean it's not true. You are blessed. Yes, you are. You are blessed. God has been I'm not talking about God's going to be good to you. God has already been good to you. You drove up here in a car. You swiped a credit card yesterday. You ate food. You got some in your refrigerator and in your cabinets right now. Clothes in your closet. You got to push clothes apart in order to decide what you're going to wear. You got to stand and look at shoes in order to determine what's going to match with what. I'm just trying to tell you that God has already blessed you according to social scientists. If you earn more than $31,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of all of the wage earners. Most people only have about $1,200 a year. Now you sitting around with your lips poked out, your jaws tight because you only got $31,000. You got to learn how to give God praise for what you already have. You can't be hating and mad and talking about somebody else. All you got to do is count your blessings, all $31,000 of them, and give God the praise for what he's already done. And what I know about God, if you thank him for what he's already done, God has a way of pouring out some more into your life. The church ought to be preaching the good news to the poor. The church, if the church is not proclaiming liberty, telling somebody they can be set free, recovery, and the favor of the Lord, if the church is not talking about the favor of God, then we are off mission. What does the church need to do? The church is called to dig in its heels and to face the opposition on the inside of the church and on the outside of the church and refuse to get off mission. When the church is off mission, and instead of it being a church, we become a zoo. Yeah, we become a zoo. You see, there's only supposed to be one kind of animal in the church, and that's a sheep or a lamb. Are y'all feeling me? Jesus only used one zoological metaphor 
to describe his church. And that was the metaphor of a sheep or a lamb. And they're both the same thing because a lamb is supposed to grow up to be a sheep. Are y'all following me? But when the church gets off mission, it becomes a zoo. Instead of it being populated solely with sheep and lambs, we become goats and pit bulls and elephants with selective memories. We become serpents and wolves in sheep's clothing. We are not a diverse group in that sense. We are all his people. And the Bible says we are the sheep of his pasture. And so when we are off mission, we begin to look like something other than what God has called us to be. Let me describe for you what happens when the church gets off mission. We begin to inquire more about secondary issues, more than we do the main issues. Here are some of the questions every church member, every church, somebody say, every church member, ought to be asking himself or herself. Number one, what do I or we have to do to lead a person to faith in Jesus Christ? Let me just say this. You ought to be frustrated. You ought to be sick to your stomach. You ought to be upset if you come to church every week, 52 Sundays out of a year, and you don't ever see anybody get saved. You ought to have a stomachache and a headache if you come to church week after week and nobody gets saved. How can you enjoy church? When Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost, and the very thing that's not happening in the church, nobody is getting sought, nobody is getting saved, and the lost are not being changed. In other words, a church ought to be interested, and I ought to be interested in what is it that I have to do in order for somebody to get saved. As a matter of fact, one of the ways we know that God is present is that somebody's life is being changed. God is not present just because we're present. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yeah. It says where two or three are gathered in my name. Not where two or three are gathered. Uh, when two or three are gathered in my name. And the only way to be in his name is to be interested in the things that his name stands for. Yeah, everybody ought to be asking that question. Secondly, we ought to be asking the question, how do we help a person who has fallen away from their faith get reconnected to Jesus Christ? In 2010 and 2011, God allowed more than 400 people to profess their faith in Christ or to unite with our church here, the fountain of new life. More 400 people in two years. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. But there's a problem. If God would ask us 
who he, who he assigned the stewardship over these lives, if he were to ask us to gather them together and to find them and to present them to him, we would not be able to do it. One of the reasons we would not be able to do it because we saw them come, but we were not concerned about them going. As a matter of fact, we don't even know they're gone. We don't know where they are or who they are. And Jesus came not for people to walk down the aisle. Jesus came for people to walk with him. Jesus came so that people would walk in faith. People would walk in the kingdom. That they would walk out their lives in relationship with Jesus and with other believers. Secondly, next, we ought to be asking this question. What is there in my character that would make a person say, because I know this about you, I am discouraged with the church. Y'all are so quiet on me, but I know I'm right. Let me just move on. Next, we should be asking this question. What do I need to give to show the gospel through compassion and mercy? You see, Jesus did not just talk a good game. Jesus served a good game. In other words, Jesus taught, but he demonstrated what he believed by how he served others. We should be asking this question, how do I make the church visible? How do I lift Jesus so high above the common carnality that invades all churches? Somebody say amen. Yeah, don't, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. The church ain't all that yet. Jesus said that he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. But my pastor taught me that Jesus is going to bring his iron and ironing board with him. Amen. He, yeah, yeah he, he's going to have to work that out when he comes. And that even in the midst of the church, there is carnality. Am I right about that? But the question I've got to ask myself, I don't need to sit around examining the carnality in the church. I don't need to point it out. I don't need to always pick it out. I've got to ask another question. How can I lift Jesus higher than the prevailing carnality? How can I lift Jesus so high that he's higher than the entertainment illusions of this world? How can I lift Jesus so high that even the flawed believers cannot be seen? Because Jesus said there's some power in me be lifting high. You know, I want to lift Jesus so high that people don't really see the church, but what they see is a bruise a battered, a broken Christ being bled and dying for them on the cross, seeing him resurrected and giving them power to live. How do I lift him? Because Jesus said this, if I am lifted, can I get some help? He didn't say if the pastor is a great preacher. He didn't say if the choirs were great singers. He didn't say if the church was big and had a lot of folks. He said, but if I am lifted. Oh, I like when the old folks used to sing that song. Oh, why don't you help me lift Jesus if I am lifted? And he says, if I'm lifted above all the stuff that discourages and that hinders people, he says, I will draw. 
Check this out. All men unto me. Yeah, how do we lift them? We should be asking that question. When a church is off mission, people join for the wrong reasons and people leave for the wrong reasons when you're off mission. You see, the only reason you ought to join a church is so that you can grow spiritually and serve. There should be no other reason for you to fundamentally make your decision about whether or not you're going to be a part If you and your family cannot grow spiritually and you cannot serve there, you don't need to be there. And if you are a part of a church where you cannot grow spiritually and you cannot serve there, I just have a recommendation for you. You need to go ahead and look for your American tourist. You need to go ahead and get your Louis Vuitton or your your coach bag or whatever it is you carry. You need to pack up your grip and you need to move because ain't no glory in hanging in someplace and you're not growing and you're not serving. Jesus needs to use your life. He doesn't need to watch you sitting in a seat somewhere. God wants to engage you in his work. That's why he gave you a spiritual gift. Not for you to prance like a peacock, but so you can get involved in being a blessing to somebody else. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 17 and 18 says, Dear friends, since you already know this, there ain't no new news. It says, be on your guard so that you may not be carried off or carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position. And then he says this, but grow in grace. Somebody say you got to grow. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, if you are part of the church, you are supposed to be fully engaged in the life of the kingdom of God. A church that is off mission does not speak the language of faith church that is off mission talks funny. Don't sound like church. Yeah. Yeah. Church that's off mission doesn't talk the language of the church. Talks strange language. Church that's on mission speaks the language of faith. Don't you know that's the language of the church? Language of the church is not I'm blessed and highly favored. It's God is able. That's the language of the church. Language of the church is not I'm too blessed to be stressed. Language of the church is this. I believe God. Language of the church is this. I know you can't see how you're going to make it through. And I know you've been trying and trying, but you're trying has not produced the results. And I know you got a plan, and I know you got a process, but here's the language of the church. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That's the language of the church. The language of the church is this. I've been stuck in a rut. I've been experiencing lack in my life. I can't fix the problems that I've been praying about, but 
This is the language of the church. The language of the church is not to talk about the rut. It's not to talk about what I can't fix. The language of the church is this. Now, in the midst of my situation, unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, oh, hallelujah, above all that we ask or think. Ah, I discovered something. The reason some of us are missing what God has for us because we're holding God hostage to what we ask God for. But I don't want God to be limited by what I ask him for unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. I don't want to hold God hostage to my imagination. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly. Listen, the language of faith says this. If, somebody say if. Everybody ain't got it. But say, but if you have faith, the size, you don't need a whole lot, baby. You ain't got to go to faith camp. You ain't got to go to a faith boot camp. No, you don't. If you have faith, just the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, mountain, mortgage, mass in my breast, all mistakes that I've made, you can speak in faith. And the Bible says you can tell them to be removed. What does that mean? You are saying, I'm not defined by my situation. I'm not defined by my jacked up mortgage. I'm defined by the power of my heavenly father. But the language of doubt, let me tell you what that sounds like. You start talking in the church like this. I know what the Bible says, but don't y'all look at me like I'm crazy. I know what God can do, but, but y'all remember those three Hebrew boys? They're getting ready to get thrown in that fiery furnace. And that fire was burning right then. When they started talking and testifying, the fire was burning. They were already apprehended and arrested. And so they said, well, King, you said your part. You don't mind. We like to have a little something to say. They said, King, we just want you to know. We don't want to talk about us. We don't want to talk about where we came from. We don't want to talk about how things used to be. But we want you to know this, King. This may be our last time to say anything. And so, God, this is what I well, for the King, this is what we want you to know. We want you to know that the God that we serve is able to deliver us. But we got a little bit more we want to say. Say, but, but, but if he does not deliver us, guess what, O King? We still not going to bow down to your music. Why? Because we are children of faith. And faith is not about whether or not we win. Faith is about us standing on what we believe in. And even if it does not 
Yeah. Faith ain't about it happening the way you want it to happen. Faith is about you standing firm even if it does not happen. Are you with me? You say, well, pastor, where you get that from? That's not what I heard on television. Well, in the book of Hebrews, it gives a whole catalog of people who walk by faith. And what it says about them is that many of them died having not received what was promised, but they died in faith. Ah, I feel the power of God right now. You know what? We all got to die in day, one day. But Brother Washington, I've determined I'm not going to die in doubt. Oh, you can hook me up to a machine that may be holding my life, but I'm going to die in faith. Oh, I may not even be able to recognize you when, I, when you walk in the room to visit me. But guess what? No one thing about me. I ain't doubting God. I ain't trusting the machine, the medicine, the IV. I'm believing God. A church that pleases God should be on mission. And at the core of the mission of the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ. Now, quickly, you got to challenge yourself. Let me say that again. You got to challenge yourself to open up your mouth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ if you want to have a church that's on mission. Are y'all with me? Let me give you two ways in which you do that. We're finished today. First, you challenge yourself to invite people to share in what God is doing in your church. In other words, brag on God and what he's doing at your church. Now, let me just go back to something I said earlier in the message. If God's not doing anything at your church, if the people are doing everything, if the folks are doing everything, but there's nothing that you can detect that has any connection to divine activity let me just give you a recommendation find your American tourist your Samsonite your Louis Vuitton your coach get your grip and get out of there and find a place where you can recognize divine activity you don't join a church to watch folk do what folk do you join a church because you want to see God do something in somebody's life. You want to go back in your car on the way home and say the spirit of the Lord was in that place today. I could hardly contain myself. I did everything I could to hold my peace because I saw God uh, breaking chains and I saw God bringing people out of bondage and I saw God doing something. 
You ought to brag on what God is doing at your church. Invite other people to come with you. Amen? Very easy to do. This is how you start. Here are things you can ask people. Where do you attend church? Will you feel a little nervous about that? I tell you, the first person to ask when you go shopping, you get ready to buy something, just tell yourself this. If this person can take my money, I can ask them a question. You can't stand for me to ask you no question. Give me my money back. I'll go get this from someplace. Huh? Yeah. If you can take my money, I can ask you a question. Where do you attend church? Where do you worship? These are all great questions. Tell me about your spiritual life. Our church will help you grow. Here's another one. I'm sorry to hear about the tough times you're having. Ask, and then ask the question, where are you in your spiritual life? Here's a good one. Come to church with me next Sunday. Invite somebody to join you. Secondly, another way to invite people is to take it up another level and invite people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's different from inviting people to church. In other words, a mature church understands that you don't have to wait till Sunday for people to get saved. Amen? In a healthy church, this is what happens. The Lord adds to the church daily those who are being saved. And so, if you're going to lead somebody to Christ, here are some simple steps. First question, you're going to have to get to this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You're just going to have to suck it up, challenge yourself, and just get it out. Ask the person that. Do you know? Do you know? Because everybody's going to have to answer that question someday. Secondly, if the answer is no, I don't know him, the next question you want to ask, would you like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your personal Savior? And if they answer yes, then I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture that you can share with them that will help them move into a relationship with Jesus Christ. First one is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, 23, and it says this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what this does? This makes the playing, the playing field even. So as I'm telling them to repent from their sins and to turn to walk with God, I'm at the same time confessing that I'm a sinner and that I'm in the same place that you are and that I'm depending on God for my salvation. For all have sinned. I'm not any different than you. Secondly, you want to share Romans chapter 6, verse 23, which says this, for the wages of sin is death. If you keep on sinning, keep on doing what you're doing, eventually you're going to experience spiritual death for which there is no remedy. It says, but the gift of God, not the wages, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, which means this, that God has given us a gift that you don't work for in the person of Jesus Christ that saves us from our sins. And then third passage of Scripture you want to tell them, if they want to accept Christ, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, which says this. Here's what you do. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's, the, here's what's important about that. Why is it so important to believe in the resurrection? Because if you can believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, there's nothing that you cannot believe that God can do in your life. Are you with me? And then after that, the person says, well, I want to receive Christ. 
you want to lead them in a prayer, the prayer is going to sound something like this. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and I've done things that do not please you. Forgive me of my sins. Make Jesus the Lord of my life. I commit to living for him. Fill me with your spirit. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, when a church is on mission, I'm going to tell you three things that are going to happen. Number one, people are going to get saved in your church. Number two, all the needs of the people in church will be met. Your needs will be met. And three, God will be glorified. Amen. The name of the Lord, <clears throat> the name of the Lord will be glorified in that church. When the church is on mission, people will not be pausing to ask for their personal credit. No one will be looking for their plaque or trophy or name call. When God is being glorified and the church is on mission, we're so busy giving God the praise for what he's doing that we forget about ourselves and we focus on serving him. Stand to your feet, if you will.